You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. This is a quick take edition. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling, cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. Special basketball episode, USC is headed to the Sweet 16. For the first time since 2007. I'm just really happy that we can have the greatest USC, beat writer, <laughs> USC basketball beat writer that's ever lived so on with us. This is a big honor. I'm like meeting an idol right now and I, I feel very, I feel humbled to be in your presence. So when you cover that 1972 Final Four, what what was it like? Dan Weber's not here. <laughs> okay. Oh, Shotgun, you're so modest. Let's get it rolling. We got a great joke coming up. I don't do well with compliments. Okay. I see that. Unless I give them to myself. I'm good with arrogance. I'm not good with compliments. Shoddy, shoddy top five, and he ain't five, four, three, or two. So you do the math. <laughs> what a great line. Speaking of shoddy, I'm just going to start off with you. Because it's been less than 24 hours. But I'm wondering if more time helped you understand what happened between USC and Kansas on Monday night. Hell No. <laughs> No, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it makes sense, but it, it just seems so unfathomable the way that USC just obliterated, obliterated Kansas. I mean, we're not talking about Kansas football. We're not talking about Kansas baseball. We're not talking about the state of Kansas. We're talking about practice. We're talking about Kansas Jayhawks basketball, the fog, you know, and USC just demolished them. They took care of business. From the opening tip, well, after about four minutes, they took care of business because both teams really struggled to shoot the ball initially. Their defense took care of business for all 40 minutes. Uh, I interviewed Drew Peterson, um, and he said that I asked him, I was like, was there a time when you kind of looked up the scoreboard and were like, whoa, we're up by that much? He said, yeah, you know, it just everything was going USC's way and they were just playing, and, you know, that you're in the game and in the moment, and then suddenly you look up and you go, wait, we're up what? They were, he was like, we're up 19 at halftime? He's like, well, we got to keep it together. And he's like, it just kept growing and kept growing. And USC played their best basketball game probably that I've ever seen them play. Um, I've been covering the team for almost a decade now, maybe a little bit over a decade. So, you know, in the last 10 years, that's the best basketball game that they played. They were just so solid in so many different areas. Everyone played well, I thought. Everyone filled their role. And it was so uncharacteristic to see just the complete destruction of a blue blood like that in Kansas. Now, Kansas is not the same Kansas they were a couple years ago. They don't have the star power that they've had. But David McCormack, in the middle of their, um, in the middle of their lineup, has been a beast for them. He had 22 points in the first game. He'd been averaging over 16 points for the last month and a half, basically. He had five points. USC shut him down. Their best wing player, their, their leading scorer, uh, Ajbaji, they shut him down. He was something like 3 of 13. He missed his first six shots in the first half. USC's defense was incredible. You know, It was the best defensive effort I've seen probably ever, too, from a USC team, for sure. Uh, they were just all over the place. They were flying all over the place. And, you know, it was it was super impressive. And, it no, it, a day later, I still i am just – I shake my head and go, wow. I mean, it, it was so impressive to see how they played in that game. And you wonder if they can carry it over. Can you carry it over for another game? Two more games, three more games, four more games. They they have the potential. 
you got a unicorn in the middle of that lineup in Evan Mobley, and if everyone plays defense like that and they knock down a couple shots, and last night they were knocking down a ton of shots. They were 10 of 15 at one point. I don't remember exactly what they, they finished with. Shot like 60% from three-point range. They were outstanding. If they play like that, they can beat anyone in the country, even Gonzaga or Baylor, and that's a very, very, very high task this year. And if they if they can get by Oregon, which is going to be a really tough game, really really big matchup there, Pac-12 matchup in the Sweet 16, then they would probably play Gonzaga, and we'll see you know if they can match up. But you know I, I thought they were phenomenal last night, and again, it doesn't make as much sense uh, a day later, or doesn't make any more sense a day later than it did uh, after the game. So I kind of had a Drew Peterson experience. I know I wasn't playing and I wasn't looking at, at the scoreboard, but my internet in my apartment sucks. So <laughs> around, like USC had like a nine pointish lead and the internet just cuts out. And so I'm frustrated trying to get this going. My roommate who doesn't care about sports is trying to help me. She was kind of paying attention to the game, but not really. We finally got it working like Five minutes later, I have tweet alerts. They keep blowing up, but I'm not paying attention. And I'm like, okay, something's happening in the game. I don't know what. It comes back on right as they're going to commercial. And you know that's when they put the scoreboard really big. And simultaneously, we go, 40? Like, I had – how did they get to 40? Like, it was just – it was unreal. It was – so my experience was even more baffling. I mean, I tweeted it looked like a one seed bullying a a 16 seed opening, opening, uh, opening round. It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, they were fantastic. Again, they played tremendous defense, and they made shots. They were 11 of 18. I pulled up the the stats. Um, And starts with Isaiah Mobley. You know, when he makes an outside shot, it just changes the entire dynamic uh, of the team. You know, if you're a defense trying to guard USC, you go, okay, we we got to take care of Evan Mobley. And recently in the last month or so, and I talked about this with with a a radio station uh, from Kansas, I said the teams that have shut USC down and really focused their energy on Tajidi. So I thought, you know, they have two really, Kansas has really two really good elite um, perimeter defenders. I thought they would try to do that with, with Tajidi, try to shut him down, let Evan Mobley score a couple points, and try to, you know, focus on everyone else. But when Isaiah Mobley can step out and he makes a three pointer, and he, he made his first four last night, and all in the first half. And he had made that's now nine of ten that he had made in the postseason after making I think seven during the regular season I think it's seven of twenty one or seven of twenty four in the in the regular season She's nine of ten it just changes everything because they initially had David McCormack who's a true center and is a big guy tough to tough to defend down low they had him guarding Isaiah Mobley well Isaiah Mobley takes him out there he's backed off they shoot over him. Okay, try to get a little bit closer. He's driving in and starts kicking to other players on the wings later in the game, and that's how they opened up in the second half. You know, making a lot of three pointers was from him driving and kicking. So it's just such a mismatch because sometimes teams will have one big that, that's like that. Okay, we can get by. Do we have a six eight guy that can move pretty well? Do you have a Drew Peterson or a Max Agbapolo? You can play him on that big guy outside. But when you have both Mobley brothers going like that, there's no way to defend them both at the same time because Kansas has had success with a smaller lineup. They tried using that at times. USC was like, all right, fine, we'll go down to the Mobleys on the block. And they just, you know, they were able to get the ball down by the by the rim whenever they wanted to against that lineup. They're like, all right, we gotta switch it up. We gotta bring a big guy back in. They just had no answer at all. And you know, it was just eye-popping. It really did look like a 16 versus a one at times. In particular, because Kansas couldn't get any good shots, 
there are very few times where it's like, oh, very good, good move right there. You know, you just kind of compliment the other team type of thing. It was like everything. There was someone in their face. There were, you know, everyone's covered. USC's defense was flying all over the place. It was as impressive a performance as we've seen at USC, maybe in any sport in the last decade. Worst loss for Kansas in NCAA tournament history. Their third worst loss in program history. I was so surprised at how happy USC fans were. It was like <laughs> legitimate happiness. And like one, I was like, wow, I haven't seen this side of USC fans in a long time. Probably their happiest since the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I run the the game threads or have been for this season. Mainly towards the end as we had some bigger games, you know, packed up tournament, packed up tournament uh, these first two rounds and it was popping. People were, were people were stunned, honestly, that this was happening. There was a lot of like, not dread, but there was like anxiousness to start this game. And then USC, you know, took control. And then it was like midway, not even like a third way through the the second half. It was like this one might be done early. Yeah, there were a couple of people in the game thread when I went back and rewatched it. They were like at halftime, and they're like, "No, no, no, you can't say that," because they were up. <laughs> I think what nineteen at halftime, um, and then. There was one point in the second half, about 10 minutes to go in the second half or so, they, they made eight straight shots, and the, the score went from a 21-point lead to like a 35-point lead. And you're just, Because USC has shown really strong stretches at times this year, and we've seen that you know that beginning of the Oregon game. Oregon doesn't score for the first eight minutes of the game, doesn't score a field goal. They're up 16 points by the time Oregon scores, a, you know, scores their first field goal against Stanford. They just routed them from the very beginning. But in those games, in the second half, the other team either kept it even or, in the Oregon case, you know, they, they came back a little bit. They never really threatened or anything, but it went from like a 30-point game to around a 15-point game. And you're like, ah, you know, they need, can they finish, you know, or, you know, will, if they get up 15 or 20 on a team, will they be able to come back in a big setting and you worry about that a little bit, but this was just complete decimation. You know, just obliteration. Whatever war term that you want to use. Give me one more. Give me one more. <laughs> Annihilation? There you go. Can I throw some just some questions at him? Yeah, go for it. I was curious to get your, your thoughts, because we just talked a little bit about Isaiah Mobley and his big game, and how he changes everything, but... Back to the star of this team, that is Evan Mobley. Mm-hmm. I was curious about your 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 thoughts on the comments that Kansas head coach Bill Self had. Uh, I guess he was talking with the uh, the broadcast team going into this game, and they had mentioned that Self had said that Evan Mobley would be considered a generational type player if he had played at Kansas, if he was suiting up for Kansas and not USC. I mean, I think he's right. If USC had the cachet that Kansas had, if USC had the publicity that Kansas had, then everyone would be talking about him in the nation. Similar to how everyone wants to watch Cade Cunningham and say, "Wow, you know, look what this guy can do with his frame and whatnot." You know, similar to Andrew Wiggins when he came through uh, Kansas before Danny Manning. If you really want to go back, he is that type of dude, and it's unfortunate. Now, part of it is. They're on the West Coast. The games are later. Part of it is the COVID. There's a lot of factors that go into it. But if USC was that true blue blood, even if you if it was UCLA, I think you would say the same thing. Um, a little bit less so than a Kansas or a North Carolina or a Duke. But because it's on the West Coast and the time difference there. But I just think there would be that cachet and the, the blue blood program You know, just carries with it. it it's, he's such a unique talent. 
And I think that people are seeing that. And you, I mean, last night he scored 10 points. And you go, he was phenomenal in that game. You know, he had 13 rebounds. He had five assists. He only had one turnover. He had three or four blocks as well. He's closing in on the USC single season blocks record. Taj Gibson feeling a little, little heat on the back of the neck. Um, we'll see if, if USC plays long enough for him to, to catch up to that. But he was, he was great. But it was Isaiah's was the difference maker there. And I've said it a couple times this season, when Isaiah Mobley plays at his best is when USC is at their best. He's the one guy that elevates them because Evan's given you a consistent performance throughout the year, and that's what's so special about him as a true freshman is that he's just always really, really good. You never go, oh, he just had a bag. McCormick on the other side, he went two for four in this game. He's been, he's been averaging 16 for him. They don't have a big guy to go up against the Mobleys. They need him to have a big game. He only shoots four shots. Now, maybe the COVID, you know, he was coming off COVID. Maybe he was a little fatigued by it. But, you know, Evan Mobley, he shoots six shots, and you go, wow, what a performance from him. You don't say that the same thing about McCormick. USC makes it to the Final Four if? If they put another performance like that together against a Gonzaga. You know, that's what it would take to beat Gonzaga. Gonzaga, they won yesterday, and they shot 49.1%. It was their worst shooting performance of the season. Teams aim for 50%, and like if they have a 50%, they're like, that's a great game, great shooting performance. This was their worst of the season. That's how good they are. They're consistently able to get easy baskets around. I think the matchup would be fascinating. And, you know, I hope for USC's sake they can, you know, continue to play as long as they play up to their performance. They lose, they lose. But, you know, you want to see them play to their potential. And it would be a fascinating matchup as a college basketball fan. I don't know how you wouldn't watch that. Because one, you would have Jalen Suggs and Evan Mobley. So you have the conversation of two of the top three guys in the nation playing against each other. Different different um, positions and whatnot. But you have Evan Mobley then going up against Timmy down low. you got Kispert on the wing. You, you know, it's It would be a really interesting matchup. How would USC guard them? How would they guard USC? Um, but USC's got to get through Oregon first, but I, I think that's you know what it would take. It would take a complete performance on both sides, so knock down some shots like they did and play just suffocating defense like they did against uh, Kansas in that one. Is this season a success because they reached the Sweet 16? That's what I was going to ask. I thought it was interesting. Everyone was so happy coming out of this game that it, does anything else that happened kind of like, is that the cherry on top? Well, someone in the before the game started, I was like, I don't remember the user, but they said, if they lose, the season is a failure. If they win, I'll chalk it up. This whole season is a success, making the Sweet 16. Uh, this feels really, really Ryan Abraham, Pac-12 championship game, success versus failure. Um, I think the season is a success. They put USC back on the map, I guess, but you have to follow it up. USC made... You know, they won the big game against SMU where they hit a late shot a couple years ago. They went to Baylor and they had a chance to make the Sweet 16 and couldn't, you know, couldn't get that last basket late in the game. They ended up losing, I think, by four or five. So the big thing is there's such a big – there's so much attention paid after the second round. You win the first-round game, great, congratulations. You got 24 hours, basically, you're preparing for the next team. There's basically an entire week of media attention on these teams, and especially the way it worked out this year with the Pac-12, I think there's going to be a ton of media attention just talking about the Pac-12 this season, and Larry Scott's doing the conference no favors once again. I'm going to let it go because he's looking at me. I'm proud of you. (laughs) He's going out. Your ranch should go out with him. 
I, I got to bring up the one. <laughs> Look what you did. I tried. I, I tried. didn't do anything. It's him. He was like, I'm not going to bring it up. 20 seconds later. Let's just see what he said. He was asked about the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, which did not seed the Pac-12 well. You know, for whatever reason, the seeds are lower than where they should be. I think they've shown that with their performance in the, in the tournament so far. And the fact that uh, that USC and Oregon are in the same quadrant. It doesn't make any sense. you got to split them up. There's an entire south region that does not have any Pac-12 teams, and then you have the, the region that USC is in the west where there's two teams there. And I believe on the other side is UCLA. Um, the, the lower part of the bracket is UCLA, and Colorado was there as well. So at max, you could only get three Pac-12 teams in. So why not put somebody in that south region and split it up? They, they could have done that. But he was asked about the the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, and he said, I think it's important to show grace to the committee this year. What? What? It's ridiculous. It's the same thing with the college football playoff. Like, oh, should we be considered? Should you be expanding? It's like, oh, I think they're doing a good job. How much am I getting paid? Uh, oh, I could take my $5 million? Does it matter if we get anybody in the college football playoff? Does that help? Do I get paid more then? No? Okay, it doesn't matter then. That's, that's how it feels. It's important to show grace. Why are you expecting anything different from a guy who's on his way out? That's true. Okay. I'm going to let it go. Let it go. Letting this... Whoo, whoo. Get out of your system. Some, some woo-sawing over here. Um, yeah, he's not helping the conference any. But this entire week, outside of Larry Scott, people are going to be talking about the Pac-12 and you know what they've done so far, getting four teams into the Sweet 16. They'll have at least one team in the Elite Eight, and they'll continue the conversation. If you can get someone in the Final Four, again... It's getting past the weekend and having that full week lead up. There's just a lot more conversation. You talk more, you know, you look back at a Loyola Chicago or a George Mason, that extra week, each week, each extra week that you get by advancing past a weekend rather than just a round, you know, it just changes the fortunes. Davidson, similar, you know, when they got past the week in the Sweet 16, you just get so many, the school itself gets so much more attention, so much more, um, you know, you get so much more applications to the school. Uh, so I think it's really big. So for the program, I think them getting this opportunity for people to see them on, on this level is huge for them. I wish I had access to Twitter trending data because I honestly don't remember the last time the Pac-12 was trending in a positive way. That didn't involve refs <laughs> or like some like... Is that a positive way though? No. Uh, some like gloriously awful after dark game. You know what I mean? Like this is like the time where if you're the conference, you milk this week for all you've got. You know, I don't know why you wouldn't. Yeah, I think you're com- absolutely right. I think they should definitely be milking it as much as possible, which means that you would love to see a top-down initiative from the conference commissioner and everyone in that office to help push that. You should come up, you know, bring some people into the studio, do as much extra content as you can this week instead of just having reruns of old games, you know, whatever. The women's basketball, they've got some really good teams that that are in that. Stanford's the number one overall seed. you got several options right here. There should be extra, extra content. You should just be trying to flood as much as you can and milk it as much as you can, and then next week, the next week, the next week, the next week, then you can run reruns of this stuff if you need to. So I think that you definitely should be doing that. Like you said, the last time the Pac-12 was trending in a positive manner like this was just, it's more of an abnormality. Oh, look, well, look what crazy is going on in the Pac-12. Look at that crazy cousin conference over there. You know, look what they're doing. Hey, versus- hey, 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 hey,
We love the crazy cousins. Or, you know, people just crapping on the Pac-12 and saying how bad they are, and then it becomes a trending topic, you know, because they get absolutely no love in the college football playoff or whatever it may be. This is the first time where everyone's going to be talking in a positive manner for this week. Now, you got to continue playing and playing well and give a lot of credit to Oregon State and give a lot of credit, actually, to Jules Bernard missing two free throws because if he makes the free throw, makes both free throws, he made one, and that game against Oregon State, then they don't get that fifth team in. You know, Oregon State is left at home. Instead, they make that run, and that's the they beat Oregon on that. That's the only game Oregon has lost, other than against USC in the last um, month and a half now, maybe almost two months now. So, you know, they're going to be a very tough opponent. They've been playing great. They were phenomenal against Iowa. The portions of the game that I was able to see, they just dominated. So it's the the Pac-12. The teams are playing really well. UCLA got an easier draw playing uh, Abilene Christian. And I wanted to point this out when we're talking about the USC Kansas game. If USC beat Abilene Christian, would people consider you know the season success then? They would feel like okay, that's what we're supposed to do. With this win over Kansas, I think that elevates it to a success. And if you do more, then I, I think they, they're happy with it. If they lose to Oregon in terrible fashion, I think you'll change your mind again because that's what fans do. They're fickle. The way the game played out yesterday and the opponent is what matters there. The opponent, it just it's so eye-catching, eye-popping. If you woke up and saw that, you woke up and for whatever reason, you had to work at night and you couldn't watch the game. You woke up and saw 85-51. You would immediately think something was wrong. Like, uh, is USC women's in the ba- in the in the women's basketball tournament? Is that what we're seeing? You know, was that the? You wouldn't think that USC's men's basketball program would put a hurting on Kansas like they did in that game. They were they were absolutely dominant. Yeah, the result almost only just raises the level of expectation. You blew now, out. Yes. It's not like they got a six-point win over Kansas. Like they edged out at the end. No, they had. They just beat them down. The game was over by this midway through the, the second half. So it's like, oh, you did this, and now you're going to be a team that you absolutely smacked the last time you faced? I think the expectation now is Elite Eight. Yeah, I think people are going to expect them to beat Oregon, and they can beat Oregon. Oregon's a very tough team. If they would have played in the Pac-12 tournament in the championship game, I would have picked Oregon. Um, because we hadn't seen this performance, particularly for back-to-back games now on the defensive end from USC, we hadn't seen it for 40 minutes. We've seen stretches where they're really, really good, but we also seen stretches where Colorado knocks down shot after shot and it's just demoralizing to USC. So the way they've been flying around the defensive end is probably the most impressive portion of this, this the two games that they played. And, I mean, putting up 85 points on Kansas is is really strong, but holding Kansas to 51 points stands out way more in my mind in this game. So, you know, if they continue to play defense, they'll be in every single game. Even against Gonzaga, if they played them, you know, and they don't shoot great, they would still be in the game because of the way they play defense if they do it like they did last night. Is a little bit, is a part of you a little bit disappointed we didn't get to see Mobley versus Garza? Not really. Because they're two different types of big men. And so similar to Kansas last night, he and McCormack never really matched up that much. There were a couple of possessions, but I think that they would have Isaiah Mobley guard him. They would have Chavez Goodwin guard Garza because they would want Mobley to be free to come across and try to block and be the help defender. Now, occasionally they would, and that individual matchup would be interesting, uh, but I think it's, you know, for, for USC, they want an opportunity at Oregon because, as Isaiah Mobley said, they stole the championship from them. 
Uh, I don't know that I would agree with that one. It's a little debatable considering what happened at Colorado and Utah. Yeah, they, I mean, they had an opportunity that they, they didn't finish off. They took care of business against Oregon. This was more on the Pac-12. I don't think you blame Oregon for, for winning in the rules that were established. But Oregon's also going to have a chip on their shoulder because, you know, the way USC beat them the first time. So it should be a really fun matchup. And the fact that these two schools, athletic departments, have been rivaling so much in different sports is, you know, is fun. You know, is this... Is Oregon going to become a new rival? It's really hard to become a rival, become a rival. And USC's already got UCLA. They've already got Notre Dame in football. They've got Stanford in several sports as well. Adding a new rival, but there's been a continuation of several sports over multiple years now. So we'll see where where this continued path goes. And it's going to be the first time, I think, ever that two Pac-12 teams meet up in the the Sweet 16 is definitely the first time two Pac-12 teams are the number one and number two teams would meet up in the Sweet 16 because, again, they shouldn't have been seeded the way they were. They shouldn't have been matched up like that in the bracket. And to be fair, I never said which Mobley versus Garza. True. <laughs> I don't want to go there yet, but just think of the narratives if USC loses to Oregon. Oh, yeah. They'll be there. It'll be rough being on the pairs. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. Yeah, USC fans will really be hurt, and Oregon fans will really, really rub it in as much as possible. Well, especially if you have your one of your players saying that they stole the championship. He he hedged a little bit before he delivered that line, but he you say the word stole and championship, <laughs> that is some locker room material. Yeah, it's gonna be bulletin. Bullet- yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be bulletin board material. Um, and he's got friends on that team. You, you know, there's four. I think there's a. There may be one or two former Compton Magic on that team. You know they've all played against each other in AU, so they'll take it with a grain of salt. But the fans that are on the message board is going to be message boards fodder just as much as bulletin board fodder. Oh, my mentions were flooded with Oregon fans. They're like, <laughs> "Oh, really? He said this." So, as far as a very general view of Monday's game, there if this was Space Jam and there was a secret sauce. What was the secret sauce for USC? I mean, it's the same thing that's kind of been the keys for them. I mean, it's not one individual thing. Again, I, when Isaiah Mobley plays like he does, it changes the dynamic uh, of their offense because they, they just become so difficult to guard. But I think it's the things that we've talked about you know, pretty consistently on instant analysis and, and through the season is if they play really good defense, which they've done – Almost the entire year. Basically every game except against Colorado. You know, three losses to Colorado, what, four losses the rest of, the, of their schedule. When they play really good defense and if they make some shots. And when you shoot 11 of 18 from three-point range, now four or five from Isaiah Mobley makes a huge difference. But it wasn't just Isaiah Mobley. It wasn't just Tajidi. Tajidi hit two. Isaiah Mobley hit four. Isaiah White hits three from basically the same spot, just draining them from the same spot. Drew Peterson hit one. Max Agbampolo hit one. I mean, Noah Bauman only shot one late in the game, but he could get in and knock some down. When they get multiple guys making some shots, it just changes the dynamic because you can't bring your whole defense down inside to try to stop Evan Mobley and Isaiah Mobley when he's down interior. And they got five guys scoring double figures. What's it, 21 and 0 now when they get three, at least three guys that score in double figures? Undefeated when Chavez Goodwin gets in double figures as well. 
Perfect four from four from the field. Multiple dunks. And knock down both his free throws. Give him a lot of credit there. Uh, Chavez Goodwin, I thought, played really well off the bench. Their zone has been phenomenal. They, they didn't use it a ton during the season. So it's interesting how effective it has been in this. And that's kind of a, I don't know if it's secret sauce, but that's been a unique addition. It's like like when you have a sauce, you know, when you go to a restaurant and there's a there's a sauce, and you're like, what does that taste in the back? Is that cilantro? Is that, what is in the back of the sauce that you, that you taste? And I'm like, oh, no, that's cumin. That's cumin. 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 Fine, cumin if you want. You said cumin. Cumin. Chris sounded like cayenne, you, whatever it is in the background. Chris sounded like when you go, you search a word on Google, and you're like, "How does that sound?" And you click it, and they're like, "Pet, <laughs> pet." <Human. laughs> I saw someone on NBA Twitter say that USC is too long and too skilled to play a two-three zone. What say you? They have done such a phenomenal job the last two games of mixing their defenses. You know, I asked Andy about that after the Drake game. You know, they were really shutting Drake down the first 10 minutes of the the second half, and they switched to zone. And I noted it on, you know, during the game on Twitter. I was like, that's interesting. They've really been, why did they switch them? But I also noted, and Drake has missed their last two shots since they've switched, and they continue to miss shot after shot after shot. And you look in the the quotes from the players and coaches on the opposing teams, and they go, that zone, we really struggle with our zone. You know, the length of that zone. And Drew Peterson, when I talked to him, he said it, it feels like it stretches, and he's heard opponents say it feels like it stretches across the entire court. Like there's no, there's no space ever because of the wingspans of those guys. So, yeah, mix your – NBA Twitter, get out of here. You know, <laughs> if, if you're mixing up your, your defenses and they're working really well, then yeah. what is the problem? Oh, they're, they're too long and skilled for that. They shouldn't – Hey, Syracuse has long and skilled guys, and they played zone for 30 years now. Is NBA Twitter coming over here going, they shouldn't play that 2-3 zone that they do so well? Shotgun just did a visual bit. He put his hand on his hip, being all sassy. <laughs> People want to complain about something. Do they Have they shown that they can play really great man-to-man defense? Yeah. So what's wrong with them showing something you know, unique and elite in this 2-3 zone. I think they've been flying all over the place. They've been on a couple shots, but the effort that you've seen in the zone is what's been really impressive as well. And, and when you listen to the comments from other teams say, they're so long, we, we, we struggle to find any good shots. That really tells you something. Since he's all riled up about Twitter, I also <laughs> wanted to throw a Twitter comment someone made. Actually, I believe you know this person, Max Meyer. Oh, yeah, I do. Tweeted, I would take five more years of Clay Helton for a Final Four appearance or a national championship. No USC fans taking that, right? There, No. There are some USC fans that are taking that, which are the USC basketball diehards. And it's a very small, small group that is slowly cre- – there's like some people coming around the circle. They're like, hey, what's going on in there type of thing. Um, but they're the, the only ones. No. USC – your general USC sports fan or USC football fan is definitely not taking. They're the guys. There's like the four guys at the party who are really into IPAs in the corner talking about IPAs. <laughs> well, and like no one knows what their deal is, but they're all like really about the IPAs. Max is really into USC basketball, so that oh, would okay. explain that. Yes. Okay, yeah. that means it's a basketball school, right? You threw that one on Twitter. I saw. We'll obviously have previews. We have more time for that. This is just kind of a quick take reaction. 
course, we're going to do a big game preview and some other things. I don't know if you have anything in the work, Chate. You do have your Heard It coming up. There's a Heard It on the Sidelines podcast. A good interview with Drew Peterson. Hoping to see if we can grab somebody else for that oh. as well. Try. We'll see. Uh, but, you know, had a good conversation with him just talking about life in the controlled environment that is the NCAA tournament right now and, you know, what they've been able to do in that game that they had on, on Monday night. I mean, he said the same thing, you know, he was a little bit speechless seeing, looking up and seeing that scoreboard. And I think, uh, you know, USC fans, anyone really around the country, if they look and saw that score in the morning, opened up their paper or whatever it was, they were like, whoa, what, what, what happened here? Uh, it was a complete and thorough performance from USC. We'll see if they can continue that and carry it. That's something I also talked about with Drew Peterson. How do you find the consistency of that intensity for 40 minutes? They've done it the last two games. Now you got a week off. Everyone's going to be hyping you up. Do you believe the paper clippings, all that stuff? We'll find out when they play uh, Oregon on Sunday. Did Monday's game change your prediction of how far this team can go, what you saw from them? If they play like that, they can win the national championship. But do you think they can? That's my question. I will say that I am super impressed that back-to-back games they have put together 40 minutes of defense. There's been no lulls. There's been no just easy baskets. Everything's difficult for the opponent, and the comments from – what really has stood out is the comments from the opposing coaches and opposing players. Opposing coaches will sometimes give, you know, oh, they're a really good team. You know, they'll give that. But the way those comments have come out and the players saying the same thing is just like their zone was just so big, so wide, so, you know, they're, they're so long, it's so difficult to shoot over. Those comments tell you that they're, get, they're creating havoc on the defensive end and causing so much disruption that it's in the minds of the opposition. So if that's something you're talking about after the game, that means it was in your mind, we can't find a shot. I can't get a clean look anywhere. And so that really stands out to me. They've done it, you know, 80 minutes in a row. Can they do it for another 160 and go on a run that that everyone will remember in 2021 and for 100 years from now for USC fans? It's possible. We'll be interesting to see. All righty. Stay tuned. Interesting to see indeed. Chris, I'm so excited that we got the best USC basketball writer on the podcast. I, I again I'm in awe here. I, I know you're very busy and it's a rare opportunity that we yes. had this opportunity to get you on mm-hmm. the Family Feud Quick Take Podcast. <laughs> yep. So we are humbled by you being here and I hope you I hope you can come back. You know, I know you probably got requests out the wazoo, so mm-hmm. hopefully maybe in a year you can come back and you know be a part of this thing again. We'll, we'll see what happens next week with the fact that I am planning to go to Indianapolis for the Sweet 16 and hopefully an Elite Eight. And then if they were to make the Final Four, I think I'd have to fly back home for a week and then go back to Indianapolis. So it'll be an interesting uh, two-week period here. Um, th- that's one of the reasons why when you brought up Bill Walton, I'm okay if he calls a game because I won't be listening to it. Damn. Wow. <laughs> Rough. Also, if you fly back, when you return to the Final Four, you'll bring in a hypothetical little podcast sister with you. Just we'll saying. see. Just saying. Can you bring me back something? <laughs> like a snow globe? I don't oh. know. We'll see what's, uh, what's available in the... Uh, T-shirt? The controlled environment. Not Cho- a bubble. Chocolate. Pencil that says Indianapolis Final Four on it. Something. Oh, okay. Give me something. (laughs) All righty. That's going to wrap it up for the not-so-quick, quick quick take of the Family Feud podcast. That is Shotgun Sprandling. That is Chris Trevino. I'm Keely Orr. We'll see y'all next time.
Peace.